infant hemangiomas. Are there new approaches to treatment? You're listening to Reach MD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Greenberg, and joining us to discuss beta blockers, a promising treatment for infant hemangiomas, is Dr. Bernard, who wants to be called Buddy Cohen, Professor of Dermatology and Pediatrics at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and Director of Pediatric Dermatology and the Cutaneous Laser Center at the Johns Hopkins Children's Center. Welcome, and let's talk about hemangiomas in kids. You and I know what they're about, but our audience may not. Who gets them? Hemangiomas of infancy are incredibly common, and I think you could pretty much expect that somewhere in the neighborhood of about 10% of newborns will develop an hemangioma before they reach two months of age, and many of them will appear in the first couple weeks of life. The other thing that's that's incredibly cool, and I'm not sure that anybody understands why, but 75% or 80% of the 10% are girls, and there are a bunch of risk factors besides being female. Anything that complicates Pregnancy tends to increase risk, so multiple gestations, preeclampsia, other sorts of complications of pregnancy can increase the risk. Prematurity increases the risk. So if you're a preemie infant girl, you probably have about a 20% risk of developing one of these things in the first, first couple of weeks, certainly within the first few months of life. All right. Now, are we talking about these tiny things that general, general practitioners refer to as stork bites? Or are we talking about the really bigger hemangiomas that people see? In the last 20 years, we've learned a lot from people who have written the books. And what we've learned is that instead of calling all these things by simple terms, we have two simple terms. And if you can remember two simple terms, you won't really confuse them. And those two simple terms are vascular malformations and hemangiomas. Vascular malformations are lesions usually present at birth. They are stable. They're not dynamic. They generally do not grow. and They generally don't go away. Hemangiomas of infancy are true neoplasms. They are usually not present at birth, although there are some rare exceptions to that. And they are really dynamic tumors. So they pop up in the first few weeks of life. They go through a period of growth, sometimes very rapid growth, that on average lasts somewhere between two and four months. And many of them will stabilize at that point, and then most of them will go on to regress. So if the hemangiomas read the book, the, the kids generally do well. So stork bites angel's kisses, port wine stains, venous malformations, things of that sort are not what we're discussing now. We're discussing what parents would call strawberry marks, which are these proliferative tumors, benign tumors of infancy that are very different from vascular malformation. Good. I'm glad we clarified that. Now, these can be really unsightly in kids, but let's talk about the fact that they can be disfiguring or what are the other complications that can be created by these? Well, a lot of it has to do with location, because even though these are benign lesions that have this particular course of popping up, growing, and going away, if it happens to be near your orbit or popping over and blocking visual access, if they're in your airway, if they're near the urethra or the anus or the external ear canal, uh, they can be a disaster during the time that they go through this proliferative phase. If they're large and disfiguring, even if they don't cause life-threatening or eye-threatening complications, they can be a major ordeal early on for the parents and later on for the child. So having some sort of intervention and some sort of easy intervention that's low risk is always something that we've been looking for. All right, well, let's talk about the history of treatment options here. Local treatment, surgical, laser, let's go through the history of this. How successful have these been and what are the concerns of each of these methods? Well, I think conservatively, our first intervention, usually because the most common complication is ulceration, has been wound care management, and there isn't one 
specific approach to wound care management that works, and lots of different things work. So you know, taking care to make sure that they, they don't get infected, doing things to keep the wound moist so that the edges of the, of the ulcer can re-epithelialize, things that we can do to manage pain. Those are all things that I think all practitioners have some experience with. And, and those principles are useful in managing the ulcerations that occur in the meningiomas, which are, again, the most common complication. There are a number of other approaches that have been taken as well to, to manage not only ulcerated lesions, but also lesions which are in sites that, where they cause trouble because of their, their location. In the past, all sorts of things have been tried. Laser intervention, something which I think is in vogue now, there has been some limited success with certain types of lesions, but by and large, the, the lasers which are used in dermatology, such as the pulse dye laser, the NDAG laser, carbon dioxide laser, are not particularly effective or are associated with a significant risk of scarring. So with very few exceptions have fallen by the wayside. Treatments in the distant past, including uh, radiation, are associated with a significant risk. Liquid nitrogen freezing, associated with risk of, of scarring or ulceration and skin breakdown and secondary infection and bleeding. Surgical intervention in certain selected hemangiomas is useful. Just have to know when to consider this. If one has an isolated lesion that may be causing visual obstruction, it has a narrow base. It may be easy to intervene and excise those lesions and not have to deal with complications and all the potential issues associated with medical intervention. What about systemic medical therapy, such as steroids, anti-angiogenic agents? Anything working here with hemangiomas? Well, you know, it's interesting because there's very little evidence-based data to support the use of any agent in managing patients with complicated hemangiomas systemically. But the standard of care, which has really been, I think, expert-driven, for the last half a century has focused on the use of systemic corticosteroids. The interesting thing is that there is no particular standard for the dosing, although I think most people would use somewhere between 2 milligrams per kilogram a day to 5 milligrams per kilogram a day, and most of us are somewhere in between. There's no particular standard for how to introduce the drug or how to maintain the drug and how to taper the drug. I think if you, this is really medical center-based, so every medical center and every quote-unquote expert in managing hemangiomas probably has a different protocol for initiating and managing patients with complicated hemangiomas using systemic corticosteroids. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Greenberg, and joining me to discuss beta blockers, a promising new treatment for infant hemangiomas, is Dr. Buddy Cohen as he likes to be called, Professor of Dermatology and Pediatrics at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and Director of Pediatric Dermatology in the Cutaneous Laser Center at the Johns Hopkins Children's Center. So, buddy, let's, let's, let's go on to what we're really here to talk about today, propranolol, using beta blockers. What's been your experience with using them? Well, let me tell you a little bit about the history there because, again, there have been some issues with using oral corticosteroids. When you're using high-dose oral corticosteroids in infants, they are not without risk. And many of us have been worried about issues such as growth delay and osteoporosis, diabetes, Metagenic kinds of properties of steroids, increased risk of infection, behavioral changes, all those things which we think of in, when using high-dose steroids. And there are patients who don't respond to high-dose steroids. So I think probably one of the standards maybe 10 or 15 years ago was interferon. But as many of us use interferon, it became more apparent that interferon was not without risk. People started to report neurologic complications such as transient spastic diaplegia and other issues neurologic issues, and it became clear that these weren't always transient. So people moved on from interferon as a second drug to uh, vincristine and other anti-angiogenesis factors. But 
most of these drugs were associated with a significant risk of complications. A publication appeared in the New England Journal of Medicine, a group out of Europe, very active in managing children with vascular anomalies and hemangiomas, noted that a couple of their patients early on who developed hypertension in association with the medical management of complicated hemangiomas with systemic corticosteroids not only had their hypertension reversed, but they had a dramatic improvement in their hemangiomas on the propranolol in children who weren't responding particularly well to the oral corticosteroids. And this group used those observations to move on to initiate propranolol primarily in patients with complicated hemangiomas and found that they had very good response to oral propranolol. Any idea how it works? Well, you know, I think a lot of us have been thinking about this, and there are some potential pathways that may control endothelial cell proliferation that may be, in fact, altered significantly by propranolol. I mean, I've had some people tell me that some of the biomedical people tell me that they believe that it may be something specific to propranolol, and, and this is something that with a little bit of luck we will be able to look at on a, a molecular level. But the bottom line is that we really don't know exactly how it works, and I suspect that it has something to do with effects on endothelial growth factors and, and something that happens in, in those proliferative tumors early on. Although, to be honest with you, we have a couple of children who are uh, a bit older than infants. We have some children between a year and two years of age where they've had very large hemangiomas that have not regressed very much, and the plastic surgeons have not been excited about intervening to revise these large lesions. And we have some early follow-up data on a few patients to suggest that even in these patients where the lesions have been stable for quite a while, that we may actually be able to trigger some further regression by initiating and treating these children with propranolol for some period of time. How many young children have you treated with propranolol? We have treated 21 patients. The results have been incredible. Our protocol is to admit these children to the hospital for initially for three days and now for two days to initiate therapy, to closely monitor their blood pressure, their pulse rates, and their glucose. The, the two complications that we really worry about most with propranolol are hypotension, which is associated with bradycardia, and hypoglycemia. This has not been an issue with our patients, and we haven't identified any of the patients during the first two days in-house who have gotten in trouble, and we have followed these patients closely through their pediatrician's office for several weeks after discharge, and then at home, none of them have gotten into trouble with either bradycardia or hypertension or hypoglycemia. How long do the kids stay on the medication? It's a good question. Some of the patients we initiated therapy last summer are now coming off of treatment. Our approach to management, I think, by following kids carefully and then trying to taper the drug when they've done well, has, I think, generally speaking, led us to treat most kids somewhere between five and six months. Okay. So is it the time where you just watch when the tumor is gone or appears to be gone? The thing that's amazing is that when we treated patients with corticosteroids, we were often very happy when the lesions stopped growing and perhaps regressed a little or decreased in size a little. What we have found with propranolol is that uh, we see not only did the lesions stop growing, but we have seen a significant decrease in the volume of the lesions in a relatively short period of time. Certainly, if you pull the drug early on when they still have potential to proliferate, I think you get a rebound. And we've seen some of those children rebound, but when we reinitiated drug, the uh, lesions then again shrunk. So I think what we're, our general approach has been to treat children until they would get to a point in the evolution of the hemangiomas where we expect spontaneous regression to kick in. Right. So you're kind of like making it better until nature takes over. What do primary care physicians need to know about this treatment at this point? I, mean, I think they need to know a couple of things. One is that I don't think we can be cavalier about using this drug, even though I think the safety profile is incredibly better than 
systemic corticosteroids, there are still some risks with using this drug. And I know that there are some centers which are initiating drug very quickly as an outpatient, even in very young children, and are not monitoring closely. I, I still think these kids need to be monitored closely because we just don't know what the potential side effects are with you know four to six months of treatment in a young infant. So I think you, you can't be cavalier about using the drug. Secondly, is that I think that it's important to recognize that when patients present with complicated amniomas, this approach to management gives us another option, which I think is eminently safer than corticosteroids. So it's something that where you might not have considered treating a patient in the past because you were concerned about initiating corticosteroids. If we have, in fact, a much safer approach to management medically, you might consider using the medication. So should physicians hold off on using this treatment until clinical trials for using propranolol are completed? Are there clinical trials going on right now? That's a good question, too. There were no clinical trials when corticosteroids were initiated back in the 50s and the 60s. And I think that we've actually seen in the last six months is, is I think, a revolution, a very rapid evolution in, in, a, in approach to managing these patients. Because in our center, propranolol has become the drug of choice for managing all complicated meningiomas. So I think there's been a quick change, and I've never seen anything happen this fast, probably because we disseminate the information quickly and because the safety profile looks so good. So primary care provider needs to know that this is out there, that it's not something that should be used really nilly in a cavalier fashion, but with somebody in their community that has some experience, hopefully the pediatric dermatologist or dermatologist has some experience with this drug, working together in collaboration with the primary care providers, we may be able to intervene early and avoid some of the complications that occur in these lesions, particularly lesions that we might have otherwise kind of taken a wait-and-watch approach. What should our primary care physicians tell our parents of these patients? Obviously, the patients don't come to them. The parents about this when they come asking for it with information off of the Internet. Well, I still think probably the same sort of approach, and that is that it's not a drug that I would use without concerns about close monitoring, that most of these semiangiomas don't get very big and don't cause trouble at vital structures, or important cosmetic structures, and go away. So the typical lesion, which is relatively small, which stops growing at three to four months of age and beginning to regress uh, well into regression by a year of age, I think that still observation would be the standard of care for most hemangiomas. However, in children who have rapidly growing hemangiomas, which are producing disfiguring lesions, which may take a long time to go away, lesions which are complicated because they're ulcerated or they're impinging on vital structures that cause the profile for propanol looks so good that I wouldn't delay intervention when it looks like the indications are appropriate for doing that. I'd like to thank my guest from Johns Hopkins Children's Center, Dr. Bernard Cohn. We've been speaking about using beta blockers to treat infant hemangiomas. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and thank you for listening.